You don't really need to say 3 John chapter 1 because there is only one chapter. But in 3 John, and I want to begin this morning, I want to tell you a story about a small town in the northeast corner of Canada. The name of that town is Gander, Newfoundland. As soon as I say that, some of you know where I'm going, some may not be aware. But Gander is a small town. There are fewer than 12,000 people who live there. It is the, uh, the location of the Gander International Airport. Now, as I said, 12,000 residents. By comparison, Greer has 36,000 residents, three times the size. So we're talking about something a third the size of Greer, a good bit more rural. But Gander International Airport was built, I think, back in the 30s or 40s when transcontinent, or excuse me, transpacific flights began to take place. Planes couldn't store enough fuel to go to their final destination without stopping. And so it was a stopover point for refueling for transatlantic flights. And they received a lot of those. But today, commercial jets can carry enough fuel, and they bypass Gander, and it is largely forgotten. Well, that day changed on September 11th, 2001. You know about 9-11, when terrorists hijacked commercial airliners and flew them into the twin towers of the World Trade Center in New York City and into the Pentagon, and over three, or nearly 3,000 people lost their lives that day. And a, an immediate declaration went out, closing all American airspace, because they didn't know, are there others out there? And every plane in the air had to land as soon as possible. And so there were 38 transatlantic flights headed for the U.S. that were diverted to the Gander International Airport, population at the time, 10,000 people. 38 planes landed with nearly 6,000 passengers and flight crew who had no idea what was going on or how long this would last and who needed to be cared for. They were stranded there for five days. And the townspeople had no advance warning. They had no time to make preparations for their guests. And it became a colossal town-wide undertaking. And the entire town of Gander stopped what they were doing and mobilized to take care of these guests. And again, the number of guests... It was two-thirds the number of the population of the city. That's enormous to think about. They had about 500 hotel rooms in their community. So the elementary schools and the high schools were turned into dormitories. Every public building became a place where guests were housed on whatever they could find, cots, beds, mats, whatever. The, imagine just trying to feed 6,000 people, three meals a day for five days with no advance warning. So the Salvation Army and the Red Cross mobilized to provide meals for all of these people. People invited strangers into their homes to take showers and to wash their laundry and whatever else was needed. The pharmacist became aware that no one was allowed to take their bags off the planes. Nobody knew what was in those bags. And many people's prescriptions were locked away. And so in a 24-hour period, he contacted a dozen different countries. And he filled 1,000 prescriptions in a 24-hour period at no charge. The bus drivers who were on strike stopped their strike so they could transport these guests where they needed to go. This was hospitality on an amazing scale. And it's been said, desperate times call for desperate measures, and those were certainly desperate times. 
and the citizens of Gander rose to the occasion. Books have been written about it. Broadway plays have been written about it. And it's an amazing and inspiring story. Well, this coming September, we're going to have the opportunity to show hospitality. Not on that scale. It's not a crisis, certainly. But it's the General Assembly of our network. And we have the opportunity to mobilize as a church to show Christian hospitality. The Reform Baptist Network is currently 57 churches from across the country as well as a couple of foreign churches. There are associate member churches and associate members in our country and from other nations as well. And our church has been asked to provide hospitality this coming September for these sister churches, for representatives from these churches. Pastors and elders, church leaders, their wives will come here and will gather and we will have the privilege, the opportunity to serve them. Now we've got plenty of time to prepare. We've known about this for about six months already. We've got six and a half months until it actually happens. But the task that's before us as Grace Baptist Church is to mobilize and to extend Christian hospitality to these dear servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning to encourage us, Hebrews 10 talks about stirring one another up to love and good deeds. I want to stir us up to love and to good deeds. And I want us to learn from the example of these saints like Gaius and those in his congregation. Now, Paul, most, or excuse me, John, who wrote this epistle, most likely lived in Ephesus. We don't know who Gaius was or where he lived. We don't know what community he was in. John calls him my dear child, so he was clearly known to John, but we, we don't know who they were or where they were. But we do know there were servants of Christ sent there that received hospitality. So let's look, first of all, the report that John receives from these brothers in verse 3, it says, I rejoice when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you're walking in the truth. Who were the brothers John is talking about? Well, most likely they're itinerant missionaries. They were emissaries sent from John to their church, maybe going to plant other churches, and their church, Gaius' church, helped them along their way. Maybe they were coming simply to uh, sort of encourage the church in their new faith. You recall, this is before the New Testament was written. They had the Old Testament, but they had nothing of the apostolic message of Jesus Christ. And so, that apostolic tradition was being developed and passed down. And so, uh, it was important for Paul to send Silas and Timothy and others, and for John to send brothers as well to these churches that had been started to continue to uh, encourage and to continue to, um, to, uh, to lay out for them the apostolic truth. It was so very precious. And so we find that Gaius and those in his church extended Christian hospitality. Verse 5 tells us they were strangers to Gaius and to his congregation. And this is, this is an important detail. I'm looking forward to this coming September. Some of you will know some of the men who will come. Some of you will remember men who have been here who are now serving as pastors in other places. And that will be a sweet reunion well, Gaius didn't know these people. None of the church in this church, or none of the members of that church knew these people. They were strangers to them. And yet, they reached out and they loved them. It's interesting, the, the Greek word for hospitality literally means love of strangers. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. In other words, as believers open their homes to strangers, the writer of Hebrews says, Some have had the awesome privilege, without even knowing it, of entertaining angels. You may not be aware of the life and the ministry of someone who comes into your home if you open your home during the General Assembly, but you might be surprised at the impact of the brother or the family that uh, you host is making. And eternity eternity alone will, will, will tell the impact that you have made on their lives as you've hosted and as they've come here and we have hosted them. We'll talk about that more in a bit. But verse 7 says, they have gone out for the sake of the name. They were devoted to the work, the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, maybe planting new churches, maybe simply visiting and checking up on those churches that had already been planted. And it tells us they didn't receive anything from the Gentiles. They were living off the generosity of God's people. They came to serve Gaius' church, and the church reciprocated by showing them Christian hospitality, providing support, sending them on their way. And so John commends these, this church and commends Gaius for the hospitality shown to these brothers, strangers though they were. It's as if they were saying, I don't know who these people are, but if they're sent for John, from John, that is enough for me. And so it's very likely he opened up his home and maybe others did so as well. He commended their teaching to the others and vouched for them and said, these men are from John, we can trust what they're saying because John addresses in his first two epistles the problem of false teaching that was going around. They provided support for the labors and for their journey. Back in 1990, our church hosted one of these, uh, at the time they were called conferences. We, at the time our gathering was called the Reformed Baptist Mission Services. And we hosted uh, an RBMS convention. And uh, in preparation for it, the kindergarten uh, K-5 uh, teacher asked her students to write out what is a missionary. And little five-year-old Craig Surratt wrote, a missionary is someone who sleeps on my couch. <laughs> now just think about what he has just communicated His parents, then and still now, have ordered their lives around showing hospitality, even when they had young children and no guest room. All they had to offer was a couch, so be it. And so the missionary is welcomed into their home. So Craig's early exposure to missionaries were in his home, at his table, on his sofa. And so in Gaius' case, they slept in his home, maybe on his sofa or whatever, on his mat, and so John commends him. But he, but he also, this is a challenge. He says in verse 6, you will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God. And I want us to use that. That's the title of my message this morning. I want us to, uh, to, to uh, frame our thinking about hospitality to do so in a manner worthy of God. He says in, at the beginning, you would do well to do this. In other words, he's saying, please, I'm asking you, please do this and do it in a manner worthy of God. What does that look like? Well, certainly, it involves meeting essential needs, making sure they don't starve, making sure they don't sit out in the rain. But is there not more? Is there not a profound appreciation for the labors that these brothers 
are expending for the kingdom of God, to honor them for their life and their labors, to go above and beyond in providing whatever we may, as God has done for us. In Romans chapter 16, Paul has, has written this wonderful epistle, and now he is commending a sister named Phoebe. And we understand, we believe that Phoebe, it says she is a patron of me and many others, and she was in Rome most likely to conduct some kind of business, and the understanding uh, is that Phoebe was actually hand-delivering the epistle to the Roman church. So she was uh, entrusted with this, this sacred trust as she was going to Rome to conduct business. She is hand-delivering, and Paul says, please receive her. In fact, he says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. She deserves this help because of what she's done for others. So help her, receive her in the Lord, welcome her in the Lord in a, in a way worthy of the saints. That's Paul's urging to the Roman church for Phoebe. That's consistent with John's encouragement to Gaius and his congregation to welcome them and receive them, show them hospitality worthy of God. And that instruction to the Romans and to Gaius, it applies to us also, doesn't it? When we speak of doing something in a manner of worthy of God, it, it could mean any, uh, any number of things. I, I would suggest three ways that providing uh, hospitality or serving in a manner worthy of God, it might mean in a manner of worthy of what the Lord deserves. Paul tells us numerous times in Scripture that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord or worthy of the calling to which we have been called, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says we are his servants and we are called to give our master, our king, wholehearted service, the kind of service that he deserves to receive from us. You've been bought with a price, you're not your own. Glorify God in your body. Give him the service he deserves because of what he's done for you. And so in light of how God has shown his love and grace and kindness to you, how then should we show love and grace and kindness to those who have devoted their lives to his service? What does the Lord deserve from us as we welcome his servants? That's one possible interpretation of worthy of God. Another is in a manner worthy of what the Lord Jesus deserves if he were the one visiting. In Matthew 10, we read earlier, whoever receives you receives me as also. In other words, receiving someone in the name of the Lord in a manner worthy of the Lord is as if we are receiving him, the Lord Jesus himself. Now, if Jesus were coming to our church, how do you think we would mobilize to make preparation? Jesus was coming to your home. How eager would you be to show him the very best hospitality you possibly could? A third possible interpretation is simply in a manner worthy of the name Christian hospitality. Now, in the South, we're recognized for Southern hospitality. We kind of take pride in that. How much more should we be eager to show Christian hospitality, hospitality worthy of the name Christian 
Paul told the Roman church to receive Phoebe in a manner that is worthy of the saints. And again, that could mean welcome her in a, in a manner that's worthy of what saints ought to receive. But it could also mean welcome her in a way that believers ought to welcome these choice servants of the Lord. Welcome her in the way she deserves as a fellow sister in Christ. Or welcome her in a manner worthy of your testimony as a believer. Either one, both of them actually apply. And they both place a solemn obligation on us to open our hearts, to open our homes, to open our church to the servants of Jesus Christ whom God sends our way. Christian hospitality should be even more thoroughgoing, more cheerful, more generous than southern hospitality, even more, uh, more uh, accommodating than the hospitality shown in Gander. Again, recognizing that was a crisis situation and things were much different. But we should be eager to show hospitality in a manner worthy of Christ, worthy of the saints, worthy of the calling of the gospel. Now, I want to stop here and just say, let's be very, very honest here. Hospitality is not always convenient. Sometimes it's downright inconvenient. Sometimes it is a sacrifice. It means you rearrange your schedule. It means you don't do some things you were planning to do so that you can serve those saints of the Lord. And it doesn't always come at the best time. Now, if we have six and a half months from now to plan, that will help us somewhat, obviously. But even then, it requires a rearrangement of our schedules. It requires some sacrifice. I think of the town of Gander. What else could they do? It's like they didn't have any choice, right? Uh, if they didn't do something, the people might start foraging for food in their backyards. Uh, one of my favorite stories from that episode, there was a, a, a guest who was there, and, and uh, the, some of the leaders of the town decided they wanted to uh, throw a big barbecue for the entire town and for all the guests. And so they said, we need every grill we can find. And they said, would you please take this truck and go around to people's homes and just, just get their grills? And he's like, are you crazy? They'll shoot me. Just do it. So he shows up at somebody's home and he finds a grill and, he, 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 and the man comes out and says, what are you doing? He says, I've been asked to get this grill and take it downtown. Here, let me give you a hand. <laughs> and he was surprised that people were helping him transport their grills to the town hall for this community event. Open-handed, generous, spontaneous. Not always convenient, but over and over the New Testament calls us to order our lives around showing Christian hospitality. Romans 12 verse 3 says to contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality was an expression of Christian generosity that ought to characterize all of our lives. In Hebrews 13, verse 2, uh, the writer says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. There's that interesting incentive that I mentioned a few moments ago. You just never know who it is that you would be blessing and how you might be blessed in the process. And I would tell you, these pastors, these missionaries, they're choice servants of the Lord. Having them in your home is really an honor. Having them here and just watching them Interact with one another and refresh each other's souls is a, is a precious, precious thing. In 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter gets it. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Anybody here ever, ever ask the question, why, why do I have to do this? 
why should I have to do this? Okay? Uh, That's not the spirit of the one another personal ministry to which we're called. We're called to serve one another in love, to eagerly, to, to seek to show honor and to even outdo one another in showing honor. And one of these one another instructions is to show hospitality. And that ought to be a, a, a regular part of the rhythm of our life in our, 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 our congregational involvement, our mutual involvement with one another, having each other in our homes. But we want to extend that in September to our sister churches. Now, you might simply, you might say, well, you know, I know people, hospitality is their gift. They're just amazing at it. That's just how they think. It's, it's they love doing it. It's their gift. That's not my gift. Okay, well, that's fine. In 1 Peter 4, 9, it says, we're to show hospitality without grumbling. And the very next verse, verse 10, says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And it goes on to say, if speaking, then in your speaking and so forth. So he addressed hospitality, and then he starts talking about spiritual gifts. Show hospitality to one another, everybody. Now, whatever gift you have, employ that for the service of Christ as well. So he doesn't say, If you're gifted in hospitality, do it without grumbling because the reality is if it's your spiritual gift, it's a delight. You don't grumble. You enjoy doing it because it's your spiritual gift. It's it's what I call serious fun. But if it's not your gift, it's a little more of a sacrifice. It's a little more inconvenient. It's a little more difficult. And, And Peter says, I get that. I understand that. But go ahead and do it anyway. And don't grumble about it. Do it with a generous heart as we see in the example of Gaius or as the Romans are encouraged to do with Phoebe. It ought to be a regular part of our ministry to one another. And this, this spring, we have this opportunity that comes along every, generally 10 years. We did it in 2016, so it's been a little bit less than that. But uh, every number of years, we have the opportunity. Not many churches, 57, not many of them have a facility large enough to house the number of people who will come. We do. And so we have a special stewardship because of that. So I want to spend the rest of our time together answering this question. What do we need to do? I've I've tried to answer sort of the why question, why us. Uh, But what do we need to do to welcome these pastors, these missionaries, these these wives of pastors and missionaries and elders in a way that really is worthy of God, worthy of the calling that we've received, worthy of the saints, that's worthy of the name Christian hospitality. We have 28 weeks, six and a half months for preparation. So what do we do? How can we, Grace Baptist Church, extend hospitality to our sister churches who send their representatives? Well, I want to hasten to say again, this is a very hospitable church. Over and over again, I I talk with people who visit and they say, I've never been in a church that was friendlier, and they actually meant it. Not the per- people telling me that. He said, the, the people were friendly. They were truly friendly. They meant that friendliness. They, they, they embraced me, and I've never seen that before. They asked me over for lunch. How strange is that? And I see somebody going, yeah, we're new here, and that happened. I went to a, uh, one of our general assemblies a number of years ago. I invited uh, a number of men who had been interns in our church, who are now pastors in other places in our network. And I said, let's all have a meal together. And I asked them the question, how many of you were invited into someone's home your first Sunday here? The majority of them said, yeah, I was. First Sunday. Now, again, we knew they were coming because they were interns. There was a little bit of planning that, that somebody went through. But that's a commendation for the 
ethic that runs through our church already, the spirit of hospitality. And this General Assembly is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to get in on the action, as it were. Uh, it's going to be a big undertaking. It starts on, on a Monday evening. People register on Monday afternoon. First formal activity is dinner. Monday evening, have supper together. And we're expecting between 300 and maybe 350 people. We're going to use the fellowship hall and put a tent up, a big tent, out on the, on the lawn to accommodate all the people. We have to rent some more tables. Uh, we need to do it. It'll be great. Uh, September will be very, very temperate. Or it has been historically anyway. I checked weather.com. Uh, and then we'll have an evening service Monday night. And then it will go all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, Thursday morning. And then we end with lunch on Thursday. And then they go home. So for those basically two full days but parts of four days, how can we serve? Well, first of all, I want to urge every single member to do what you can do. You don't have to do what somebody else can do. And there are, there are all manner of considerations and contingencies that, that, that determine how free or how capable or how much energy or resources or whatever you have to bring to the table. But everyone can do something. Turn with me to 1 Peter 4. I, I read a bit of it a moment ago, but I want to, I want to look at it in this context. If you wish, if you page over. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to, going to read verse 8. Actually, I'll start in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In other words, don't get cut up, get caught up on life as the rest of the world lives it. Live with the end in view. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not everyone can teach. Now, we could all serve in some way, but some are going to have more capacity to serve than others, whether it's because their schedule is free or simply some people have relatively small internal engines and some people have really, really big internal engines. Uh, And we're not asking you to be somebody you're not, but we're asking everybody to do what we can do, what God has equipped and enabled you to do. A smooth and joyous, and I mean joyous for them and us, General Assembly is going to involve a lot of serving and a lot of loving So what are some attitudes that we should bring to this idea of Christian hospitality? First of all, there should be a cheerfulness, a joyfulness, and an eagerness to serve, not grumbling, but rather serving in a manner worthy of the Lord. Can you imagine Jesus showing up and saying to to Zacchaeus, "Uh, I'd like to come to your house for dinner, and Zacchaeus saying, do I have to? I mean, who, who in his right mind, knowing who Jesus is, would say that? Well, we ought to bring that same cheerful attitude saying it's my honor to host you. We'll have visitors here who will be carrying heavy loads, and we'll talk about that some more in a bit. And they need refreshing, and our joyful, cheerful service, our generous spirit will be like a tonic, a balm to their souls. So our 
service or hospitality should also be accommodating. As Paul said to help to the Romans, help Phoebe in whatever way she may need from you. We want to be of service of pastors and their wives and missionaries who come and visit here. And some will have forgotten their toothbrush or uh, need to go to the store or any number of other things. They'll, they'll need something extra. And we should seek to do whatever we can to provide whatever is needed if it's in our power to do so. Another attitude is being thoughtful and creative. What are those extra touches we can bring that will make it extra special? I'm thinking the decorations team, they're going to make all these extra touches to to make things really nice. Last year we went to Bremen and we couldn't believe how nicely decorated the flowers were in the restrooms. I'm not saying we need to do that. I was like, wow, they thought of everything. And when people come away going, they have thought of everything, that really is itself a great encouragement it expresses, we care about you. Another attitude that's necessary is being thorough, just, just being efficient. There's, there, there's so many moving pieces. You think about hosting 300 to 350 people, all those meals, all those transporting people back and forth and all the various things. Now, we're not starting from scratch. We've already been working. Uh, Brittany and Jonathan Oway are our uh, coordinators for this. Uh, and I'm working closely with them, but they're doing a marvelous job. They've been at it for about six months. They've already gathered almost all of our team leaders. Uh, so there's a lot of groundwork that's been laid, but there's a whole lot that needs to be done. There are 14 separate committees, and we, we have a, a handout, and I think they're all listed here, but a handout of, of various team uh, responsibilities and tasks that need to be accomplished. We've got the leaders in place for almost all of them, but we need people to help. We don't want the leaders to have to try to do it all by themselves. Uh, it is a lot of work, but it's also really sweet fellowship. I, I can remember, we've done these, uh, I know in, in 90, in 2000, 2010, and 2016. I know we've hosted at least four that I've observed. And it amazes me to watch God's people coming together and working and enjoying it. Behind the scenes, having fun. Just, just, just encouraging and stepping up, and it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's exciting, but there's got to be a thoroughness. We need to make sure we do things really well. We want it to look effortless. It will not be effortless, but if we're thorough, it will look like it is. Things will just seem to happen, and there won't be a hiccup. But another essential attitude is compassion. Nearly every year, I meet or am reacquainted with a brother or sister who's struggling. It may be church struggles. In one case, a dear friend, his health is broken. And his wife said, he worked and worked and worked and worked and worked all these years. And I was waiting for retirement so that we could do things differently and, 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 and enjoy. And now his health is broken. And all those things I waited for won't happen. And my wife was able to come alongside her with compassion. She can't fix it, but, but, but listening and showing love. She can't tell that to the ladies in her church, but she can tell that to another pastor's wife. And every year we have these kind of conversations or we see them taking place. And as we are providing the context in, where that, in which that happens, we are expressing the compassion of Jesus Christ. It also involves humility because let's be honest, we're all selfish to the core. There's a part of every one of us that says, why should I have to do this or that or whatever? Why should I have to inconvenience myself? Why should I have to do something that is not particularly comfortable? 
But humility says, why should I not serve the saints? Why should I not, in light of all that Christ has done for me, why should I not step up and say, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Jesus gave everything for us. Why should I not? And then finally, a welcoming spirit. And I have something really specific in mind here. Have you ever had someone serve you, but it's really clear that they, they're doing just because they have to? And you, it get, you get the message that you're putting them out. Well, a welcoming spirit is, is generous. It shows, I am so glad for this opportunity and privilege that I have to serve you. And it makes all the difference in the world. So Christian hospitality welcomes the stranger. It, it is glad to put aside my own needs and my own concerns for a time that I might serve another. It says, I'm honored that you have come. Well, I want to get down just last few minutes, some nuts and bolts. How can you plug in? You've got this little half sheet, and you look at these, this list. We're going to ask you to, to begin signing up in a few weeks. We'll, 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 make sure, make, we'll put it out there how that we're going to do that and what that looks like. But I would encourage you, start going over this list and start asking the Lord, where can I plug in? I'm not asking anybody to do five things on here. There may be some that can do more than one, but if everybody does what everybody can do, the, 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 the labor will be divided and it will happen smoothly. And no one should be put upon to do more than is reasonable for that person. So there, there are descriptions of every item here, but I just want to briefly talk about a number of these. First of all, food. Three dinners, three lunches. We'll cater a few of them, but we're going to be cooking a whole lot too. And serving tables and prepping and cleaning and all manner of things. In addition to the break times in the morning where there will be stack tables set up. We're going to need some cooks. We're going to need some cleaners. We're going to need some servers. One of the joys for pastors is when the teenagers come around and say, can I refill your drink? Can I, is there anything I can get you? When the teenagers come and talk to us as we're visiting this other church, it's really cool. And young people, it's a wonderful opportunity. You hear us on Sunday morning, this morning, we prayed for, uh, for John Patton. Now, I know John. Dear brother, we also prayed for this church in Terrell, Texas. They're one of the newer churches, and their pastor's name is Nick Esch. I don't know Nick. All right? I'm looking forward to meeting him. And some of you, you hear these names, and you don't know who they are. And then you pour their drink, and they tell you who they are, and you go, oh, we prayed for you three weeks ago. And now you're putting a name on the face. It's really fun. It's really, it's delightful. Teens, I want you to get, on on that. get in on that, because it will bless you. I promise. But we need a lot of hands in the kitchen. In the, in the fellowship hall. Uh, that time around the table is some of the most impactful time at the General Assembly. I, I've talked to a number of pastors who said, you know, I don't particularly remember some of the messages or some of the business things that we did, or, but I remember this conversation I had with a brother at lunch or at dinner. It was life-changing. I remember that contact that I made with somebody that I didn't know that opened the door for new ministry endeavors. Around the table, that's important. It really is. Uh, the setup and the cleanup group. This group doesn't get a whole lot of attention. You know, after a great meal, uh, my compliments to the cook. How many people walk out of the bathroom and say, my compliments to the cleaning crew? It just sort of happens, you hope. But the tables have to be set up and the rooms need to be prepared. And when people get here, it, it's, oh, wow, it's all there. 
And they may not think about it, but if it's not all there, they will think about it. We want it to be seamless. We have a big facility. We have a lot of rooms that need preparation, a lot of tables, a lot of, uh, a lot of hands necessary to do that work. Uh, we have eight r- public restrooms that need to be cleaned multiple times a day. Uh, you know, we, we clean our restrooms a couple of times a week because we only use them a couple of days a week. But when you have 300 to 350 people here for a large part of the day, <laughs> that's a lot of toilets to clean. You need somebody to do it. More than one person can handle, obviously. Uh, we're going to need people during the daytime. And I realize many of you work. Some of you moms homeschool. And uh, for some of you, you can't be here in the daytime. Some, you can maybe carve out one day. I, I know there's some men and women who are already planning to take vacation time, maybe a day or two, maybe the whole week. I don't know. I'm not going to put any pressure on anybody to do that sort of thing. But I know there's some who are doing that. And it may be some homeschool moms can say, you know what? None of us can serve every day, but if I get this day and you get that day and you get that day, and, the, and then, then it, it becomes doable. Well, these are some ideas to throw out, but it's like giving. You know, we prayed for offerings this morning. I will never tell you, you need to give a certain amount of money. And I will not go and look. Our elders do not look at what people give. We don't do that. But the scripture says, let each one determine in your own heart what you're going to give. For the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And I would say to you, based on that, let each one determine before the Lord, how will I serve? Because the Lord loves a cheerful server. We need help with transportation. We're going to have people needing to be picked up at airports and taken to their hotels. Now, sometimes the airport or the hotel can provide shuttles, but sometimes it's just really nice to have a friendly face driving up and saying, I'm so-and-so, so glad you're here. Conversation, you get to the hotel. Uh, those who are staying in hotels are going to need to be brought here every day and taken back. And, of course, if you're staying in a home, they need to get here and back. Some will drive, some will rent cars, but some are going to need transportation. And that is one of those things, like Paul said to Phoebe, help, help in whatever way you can and whatever she needs. And if they forgot their toothbrush, they may need to run them to the drugstore to get one. Uh, child care. We're not opening up an nursery for anybody who wants to bring their families. We are needing child care for the children whose moms or dads are here working so that they are free to work and somebody's watching after their kids. So we're going to need some people to help us with that. We are having a, a nursery for preschool and, and, and below during the three evening services. And by the way, one of those evenings, our speaker is Vody Bauckham, which I'm kind of excited about. Some of you know that name. Uh, I expect we'll have quite a few visitors at night, so we may need some extra people helping that evening. But child care is going to be important. Uh, housing. Cheryl Hatfield is already jumping all over that and helping us with that. But I want to speak about that for a minute. Most of our visitors are going to stay in homes. I mean, excuse me, are going to stay in hotels. Most of our, and, and there's this, this great thing. You go down to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the, the breakfast area in the morning and you got, you know, 30 people in your general assembly that are there and we have breakfast together. It's really, really fun. And we ride, to, you know, together. We cram into cars and we, and we go to the meetings. But there are people who, they can't afford four nights in a hotel. If they had to pay that, they wouldn't be able to come. And so we offer homes so that they can come and they can be part of our general assembly. Now, you may be eager. There are some who will be eager. I can't wait to have this pastor, this missionary, stay in my home. Uh, it could be a married couple. It could be one or two men. 
Uh, I remember one year, I won't say the name, but one of our missionaries went with us, and he and I shared a room, twin beds. I've never heard anybody snore like that. You talk about Leviathan. It was amazing. Uh, In fact, he said, I snore a lot. Uh, If I wake you up, just ask me to turn over on my stomach. It was really just, just my heart sank when I said, brother, can you turn over on your stomach? And he said, I'm sorry, brother. I'm already on my stomach. (laughs) But just think, there's this opportunity to teach your children the value of hospitality, to give them this contact with other pastors. It it was amazing to me to watch these men whom I have known and respected for years staying in my home and playing with my four-year-old son. And speaking to him of things that are of eternal significance. And our kids seeing them at their table and in their homes. That's a, spe- a precious, precious thing. One year, Conrad and Bayway stayed with us for uh, a module. And uh, at dinner, uh, Haley uh, indicated, or, or I told him that Haley was a huge fan of Vody Balkums. Well, Conrad said, oh, Vody works with me in, in, in Zambia, is, is in, the, in the Bible college there. So while Haley ran upstairs to do something, he gets Vody on the phone. And Haley comes back and goes, Haley, here's somebody who wants to talk to you. You talk about a jaw-dropping moment. Well, Vody's going to be here this time, we hope. So we're excited about that. Uh, but some of you might say, I'm a little more reluctant. I can think of a dozen reasons not to have somebody in my home. My house isn't nice enough. It's not big enough. My family's not well-ordered enough. I have to go to work every day. Well, I've been in homes where they dropped me off in the morning and I saw them again at the, at the evening service, but they were at work all day. I live too far away from the church. Let me tell you, I've, I've, I've attended over two dozen of these type of conferences, these general assemblies. I've stayed in many homes, stayed in a number of hotels as well. I've stayed in double-wide motor homes, mobile homes. I've stayed in really nice guest rooms. Uh, one home... They had a basement guest room that they were in the middle of developing, but it wasn't anywhere close to done. But the time came, and they hosted me and another pastor in these two completely unfinished guest rooms in their basement with a completely unfinished bathroom. And we had a delightful time with them, and they became dear friends. I have stayed in a little girl's room that was all pink, and it was decorated with My Little Pony. (laughs) I've slept in hide-a-beds, water-beds, double-beds, single-beds. I've never had to sleep on a mat. Uh, But... I've stayed with retirees, I've stayed with young families, with little children, and I've been in virtually every conceivable family situation over the years, and it's been wonderful. And it's been wonderful to many of you as you've had people in your homes and you've said, I made friends with people that ministered to me at least as much or more than I ministered to them. And I would say these churches have served you by hosting me and other pastors from our church. And it's our turn to serve them in the same way. Again, hospitality is going to be a sacrifice. You have to reorder your lives. In that little my little pony room, they moved their daughter into another bedroom so I could have a place to sleep. And I'm asking you, and we're going to reorder our lives and our schedules so that we can serve these choice servants of the Lord. Now, again, some of you, your schedule doesn't allow you to be here during the General Assembly. I get that. We don't need everybody to be here during the daytime. We invite you all to come in the evening services, certainly. Uh, But there's a whole lot of prep work to be done before this thing ever takes place. And we would love for you to help us wherever you is able to, wherever you are able to, so that we as an entire church 
can fellowship together, can partnership together in the work of the gospel for this, this, this wonderful, wonderful privilege we have. In the next few weeks, you're going to be seeing some more information about how to sign up. But I want to just close with five ways that this General Assembly matters. Five reasons it's important to have these face-to-face meetings every year. First of all, we conduct the business of the network. We have to vote on things like budgets and welcoming, receiving new churches and sending missionaries and establishing the committees that, uh, of people who serve the interests of the church. And that's, that's kind of mundane. It's not the most fun thing to do, but it's important. It has to be done. We have these wide open conversations about matters of interest and of concern. And there's a freedom in the business meeting. It's, it's amazing. People don't feel like, oh, I've got to weigh my words carefully or somebody won't like me. Uh, there's this free, free freedom of, of, of heart and spirit and charity that really is cultivated because we know one another or we get to know one another. I spoke with a man this week. His church is applying for membership and we were uh, asked to sponsor that church or to recommend that church as to be new members. And so we were meeting with these men on the phone from all the way across the country and near Seattle, Washington. And this brother said, I came last year to the, to the General Assembly and I was quite skeptical at first. I wasn't sure it was something that we would be interested in. And he said, when I saw the spirit of the men there, I saw the commitment to doing the work of the kingdom. I saw the business meeting, which I never thought was the most exciting part. He said, I want in. I want to lead my church to join this. He's an elder in the King's Cross Church. They've just recently called a new pastor. Some of you know him. His name's Nick Alford. Nick was co-pastor here in our church before Pastor Mark came. Uh, Nick and Shelby are by the way, planning to come with their kids, and that'll be fun to have them here as well. But one of his elders was skeptical until he came. And one of the wonderful things about these gatherings is new people come and see what we're about. And that's how they begin to plug in. Well, that's the first thing. Secondly, it's a tremendous blessing for the church. The network is a blessing for us. It becomes a source of information, of inspiration and encouragement to pastors. It fosters fellowship and cooperation among churches as we uh, engage in partnership endeavors. It gives you the opportunity to put faces with the names of men and churches that we pray for on a weekly basis. But not only the pastor attends, elders, deacons, their wives, there are reunions of old friends and there are new friendships that are made and we, it's a blessing as it promotes cooperation among the churches. We have sent out Bob Self and uh, John Cordy presently. We have two missionaries that the network fully supports. And these men are known and loved among our network of churches because they've been to these meetings and people have met them and gotten to know them. So it provides us vital assistance, this partnership in the work of the kingdom. And there are many churches that are small. They couldn't afford to send someone even if the man was available. But the churches will jump in. And what's amazing to me to watch, and I've seen this for many, many years, people who are in these faith ministries where they have to go out and raise their support for whomever they can find, it might take years. But within our network of churches, it usually takes just a few months because churches are eager to partnership together for the work of the kingdom. And it's amazing. It's also a wonderful opportunity for young men in ministry. And some of you young men here who have an interest in ministry, listen up. Uh, I urge you to be here. This is an opportunity for you to see what we're about and say, I want to be a part of this. It's an opportunity for other pastors to meet you and say, hey, I know of a place that needs a guy like you. Uh, It it is inspiring. There's a man who is serving. His name is David Vaughn. He's serving in France as a missionary. He's been there for decades. He found out about the opportunity to go to France at one of our general assemblies at my kitchen table one morning at breakfast. 
That's how he found out that France was a need. And there he is. He's been there for decades. Things like that are enormously significant, and they happen because we gather. Uh, it's also a great source of encouragement for the pastors and for the elders. Some of the men who will be here are serving in difficult situations, and some of the women as well. I mentioned this wife a, a few moments ago. Not every church enjoys harmony and peace. Some go through turmoil and difficulty. And every year, virtually every year, I, have some, I hear someone who is going through some kind of attack. Some men come discouraged or burned out, and this is an opportunity to rekindle that flame. I want to tell a personal story. This is back in the early 1990s, and some of you who were around, you, you know what was going on then, but our church went through a significant turmoil, significant disruption, and it was devastating. We had numerous people leave for lots of different reasons, and there was a crisis of confidence in our leadership, and it, it put us on our faces before the Lord, and it was a hard, hard time. And over time, the Lord healed some of those issues, and, and, and we entered into a, a, a better place. But during those really, really dark times in my own life, things were hard. My wife had a miscarriage. My son Jonathan began to have seizures. We had a, a close relative who went through a divorce. I blew out my knee. My father-in-law and my mother both, or excuse me, my, my father and my mother-in-law both developed cancer and went through that battle. It's a tough year. I couldn't afford to get down and get under all of that during that time. But then the, the, the clouds broke and peace came to our church again and, and we were refreshed and I crashed. I had never been so discouraged in my life. I felt useless in the body of Christ. And I went to the General Assembly with a heavy heart and I sat down at the table with John Heaney. Some of y'all know John's name. Very dear brother, pastor in Bremen, Indiana. And we talked for two hours and he followed up with me for months after. And the Lord used that to mark my life. And I've seen him do that for men over and over through the years. That is so important. It doesn't happen unless we're face to face. Brothers, we have the opportunity. Sisters, we have the opportunity to provide those kind of opportunities, those kind of ministries. I, I tell you this. Because I know this year, again, there will be people coming who struggle. I know some of them already. And when we gather, we discover those things. When we gather, we meet face-to-face. -face. We're able to uh, rekindle that flame, to bring that encouragement, to renew that vision for ministry, and to restore that hope in the Lord. I've seen it happen. It's happened for me. And I've seen the Lord do it for many others as well. I cannot overemphasize how important that in itself is. And we, as Grace Baptist Church, have the privilege of facilitating that kind of ministry. And then finally, <laughs> it's an opportunity to learn about missions. Missionaries from all over the world come. Last year, we had 10 different nations represented outside of our own. At least 16 men that I was able to count were here from other nations serving the Lord. And some gave reports. We had reports from other men who weren't here, but we had live Zoom conferences. And I'm thankful for the new video technology we have that is going to enable us to see them and, and communicate with them. Ask them questions in real time, even though it might be in the middle of the night where they are. Uh, but that's an important part of our general assembly. Well, I'm going to finish our time together with a quote from Matthew Henry. He was speaking about Christian hospitality, and he said this. He said, Christians should not only consider what they must do, but what they may do. What they may most honorably and laudably do 
the liberal mind, and meaning a generous mind, the liberal mind devises liberal, generous things. May the Lord give us liberal minds and generous hearts and a wonderful fellowship together in serving the saints of God.